0: You're not tuned in to the park this way, so just sit back and I'm to play. Let me take your thoughts for thought, fuck thought off, away.
1: Now let's hear what God never has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's up, Star Wars family? May the 4th be with you. Yes, today is our day. It is May the 4th, the Star Wars appointed holiday, where the Star Wars fans celebrate all the wonderful things about Star Wars. Think about it for a moment. I bet you can't name one other franchise that has its own holiday. It's okay, I'll wait. You can't because there's not one. Even though it is not a national holiday, it is appointed a holiday by us, the fans. Star Wars is more than just a franchise; it is a way of life. And today, we celebrate that way of life. And we at Sway would like to take a quick moment to honor this day. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. May
0: the
1: force be with you. May the
2: force be with you. May the 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 force be with you.
1: with you always Okay, I think it's about that time that we get to the quote for this episode. And it comes from Ricky Rod. And he said, strength doesn't come from what you can do. It comes from overcoming the things you once thought that you couldn't do. We can overcome obstacles and it will make you strong. But when you overcome an obstacle that you didn't think that you could overcome, it gives you a lot more confidence. So with that confidence, you are able to do a lot more things. So I think we should get to chapter 15 of this book because this is a very informative chapter. It tells us the stepping stones that will give us the basis for the rest of the book. So let's get to it. Scourge knew that Nyriss was watching him carefully. For the past week,
2: ever since she had told him the truth about Cedric, he had felt her presence constantly. He had promised not to act on his knowledge until he saw Nathema for himself, and he intended to keep that promise. He knew she didn't trust him, and he knew she tried to kill him if she felt threatened, and also that she was powerful enough to have a good chance of succeeding. But he had his own reasons for obeying. He was curious about what she had told him. He wanted to know more about the Emperor's mysterious past. And if it turned out that Nyrus was telling the truth, if the Emperor really was mad enough to start another war with the Republic, then maybe Scourge should consider taking her side. Now the Day of Reckoning was here. Nyrus had come for him early, waking him with a subtle whisper in his ear. It's time. He dressed quickly then followed her out to the spaceport, where a private shuttle was waiting for them. Unlike the rest of her fleet, this one bore neither her colors nor her crest. This journey would be conducted in utter secrecy. The shuttle was clearly built for speed. There was no armor to speak of, and at first glance it was easy to miss the single blaster turret mounted under the cockpit. Scourge was no expert on starship weaponry, but he guessed it would only be effective at close range. The interior was more functional than luxurious, with room to seat six. On this trip, he and Iris would be the only passengers. She settled into the pilot's chair, her fingers moving rapidly over the controls with a dexterity that belied their gnarled, wrinkled appearance. Neither of them spoke as the shuttle took to the sky, climbing rapidly through the clouds and lightning until it broke free of the atmosphere. Iris made a few more adjustments and punched in the route and the ship jumped into hyperspace, leaving Cos and Nyriss's loyal followers, behind. Nothing I tell you can prepare you for what you will see on Nithema, Nyriss warned him. But I will tell you the history of the Emperor and his homeworld. How can I know you're telling the truth? She shrugged. Believe it or not as you see fit. If nothing else, it will help pass the time. She settled herself more comfortably, and as she spoke, her voice took on the sing-song tone of a children's storyteller. The Emperor's name was Tenebri, she began. They say he was born with eyes as black as the void of empty space, and that he never cried, even as an infant. No animal would come near him, and when he began to talk, his voice carried a weight and power that should not come from a child. At the age of six, he began to manifest signs of the Force, marking him as one of the ruling elite. But his parents were simple farmers, and the Force was not strong in them. Suspicious about the boy's power, his father confronted his mother, who admitted to having an affair with the Sith Lord who ruled over them. The father flew into a rage, attacking the boy's mother. Cenebrae stopped him feeding on his father's anger and hate to call upon the dark side. He snapped his father's neck with a mere thought, killing him instantly. His mother died more slowly. Tenebrae made her suffer for months as punishment for betraying the family, torturing her with the force as he honed his powers. Now orphaned by his own hand, he made the others in his village bow down to him. Those who refused, he tortured and killed through the Force. Over the next few years, his reputation and influence spread to nearby villages, and he amassed legions of both fanatical and terrified followers. He killed thousands during his rise to power. Many died just to feed his insatiable appetite for suffering. Tortured for days in public executions, so he could savor their agonizing ends. This sounds more like a legend than history, Skurge remarked. I cannot guarantee the truth of this story, Nyriss admitted. Those who witnessed the events no longer live to verify them. But if you had ever met the Emperor in person, you would not be so hesitant to accept the tale as fact. What about Nathema's ruler, the boy's father? You claimed he was a Sith Lord. Surely he didn't sit back doing nothing while a child conquered his people village by village. Tenebrae's father was named Lord Dremeth. He heard rumors, but they came from a remote and insignificant territory. He had long forgotten the simple commoner who had borne him a son, and he considered the plight of a few small villages beneath his notice. Had Dremeth acted more swiftly, the Emperor might have been stopped. But
1: it took almost four years before he decided to go see Tenebrae for himself.
0: Lord Raymith intended to judge the child's power to determine if he was worthy of serving the Sith Lord or if he should simply be executed. But Tenebri had no intention of serving or of dying. When they met face to face, Tenebri proved the stronger. Only ten years old, he stripped his father of his power and his mind. Lord Draymith spent his last moments weeping in terror, gazing up into the black eyes of his son. It took Tenibri three more years to gain control of the rest of Nethema. Draymith's firstborn son fled rather than face his formidable half-brother, but other powerful Sith sought to seize the empty throne. All fell before the Dark Prodigy, and with each victory he grew more powerful and more ruthless. At 13, he presented himself to Markal Ragnos, the lord of all the Sith and the ruler of the Sith Council. Impressed by the teenager's ambition and power, Markal Ragnos granted him the title of Lord Vitiate. His position as ruler of Nethema officially recognized. Lord Vitiate returned to his home to conduct his research into the depths of the dark side's power. He stayed there for a hundred years, when Marka Arachnus fell, Lord Vishiet did not join in the mad rush to claim his position. He was not part of the great hyperspace war against the Republic. When Naga Sadow and Ludo Kresh fought for leadership of the Sith, he took no side. But in the aftermath of the war, after our defeat at the hands of the Republic, and our flight to escape the massacre of our people by the Jedi, he emerged from his solitude. ...to call a great council of all Sith Lords who remained. He invited them to his palace on Nathema, ...built on the site of his childhood home... ...the place where he had killed his adopted father... ...and tortured his mother to death. He invited them to participate in a ritual... ...to unlock the full potential of the Dark Side. He promised they would unleash power... ...beyond anything they had ever witnessed or imagined. Didn't they suspect a trap... Perhaps, Naira shrugged. Some refused to answer his call, but many more came. After all, what could one man do against a hundred Sith Lords? Remember, he was not the Emperor back then. He was merely Lord Vitiate, ruler of a single planet of no particular importance. He hadn't fought in any battles of note or achieved any great victories or conquests beyond his own world. He had the reputation of a scholar, not a warrior. And the Sith Lords were driven by fear. Many thought the Jedi would soon drive them all out. They were desperate for anything they could use as a weapon against the servants of the light side. Lord Vish had played upon these fears, convincing those who answered this call to set aside their suspicions of him and of one another, to join in a single glorious cause. Once they arrived on Nithima, they quickly fell under Lord Vitiate's control. He dominated their minds, crushed their resistance. He turned them into slaves of his will, forcing them to participate in the most complex ritual of Sith sorcery ever attempted. Calling on the dark side, Lord Vishiet devoured them. He fed on their power, absorbing it into himself utterly obliterating all traces of his victims. But the ritual was not confined to the doomed Sith Lords. They were but the eye of the storm, the center of a vortex that spread across the entire planet. Every man, woman and child on Ithema died that day. Every beast, bird and fish. All the insects and plants, every living being touched by the Force was consumed. When the ritual ended, Nathema was no longer a world. It was a husk, sucked dry. Lord Vitiate sacrificed millions, stealing their life force to make himself immortal. Their deaths also made him stronger than any Sith who had come before, and he ceased to be known as Lord Vitiate. On that day, the Emperor was truly born. Scourge wondered if Nyrus expected him to be horrified by the tale. If so, she was about to be disappointed. The Emperor seized what was his by right, he said. The strong take from the weak, that is our way. Doing it on a scale of millions doesn't change anything. It just proves he deserves to be our Emperor. So I used to think, Nyrus said, smiling ghoulishly. And then I saw Nesima for myself. She didn't say anything else for the remainder of the trip, leaving Scourge to wonder in silence why she was so confident he would come around to her side. He felt the first hints of what was waiting for him when the shuttle dropped out of hyperspace. Through the windows of the cockpit, he saw a grey and brown planet looming large before them. Gazing at it, he felt something strange and unsettling. Something unnatural. It took him several moments to realize what was wrong, and even when he did, he didn't fully grasp the implications. He wasn't feeling the Force. The sensation was completely alien. The Force was omnipresent. It radiated stronger in certain places and at certain times, and the balance of the dark side and light constantly shifted. But it was always there, in some way, shape, or form. Now, however... He felt nothing. He had become so accustomed to the presence of the Force in the background that its complete absence was almost overwhelming, leaving him unable to speak. Prepare yourself, Nyriss said. We're going down to the surface.
1: Okay, so we start off with Nyriss taking Scourge to Nathema. As they are on their way, Nyriss explains to him how the Emperor became the Emperor. And this dude was no joke. I mean, he first killed his stepdad for getting all to his mom for cheating. Then he tortured his mother for months for having the affair, and then he killed her. And he was only like six years old. Then he killed his biological father, Lord Draymond. Scared his half-brother so much that he fled the planet. This is what ties into the part of the book about Revan's journey. Then he killed everyone on the entire planet. Not only did he kill everyone, he devoured the forces, sucked it into himself. This is what caused him to become immortal. It's crazy because if you think about it, this dude killed an entire planet. If I was a Jedi or a Sith or anybody, I would fear this dude. He doesn't play around. And now he is like a thousand years old. Do you know how much wiser you would be if you were a thousand years old? I'm 42 years old and I'm a lot wiser than when I was 20 years old. So he does it by devouring the life on the entire planet. Scourge is like, this is the way of the Sith. The strong take from the weak. That's why he's the emperor. Just because he did it on a scale of a million doesn't mean that it's wrong. Nairus doesn't say anything else. She is just like, we'll see once we get to Nathema if you still feel the same way. And that's where we left off, so let's get back to the chapter. The absence grew steadily more pronounced as the shuttle approached and then landed on Nathema.
2: Come with me, Nairus commanded, rising up from her seat. Still mute, Scourge followed her down the shuttle's boarding ramp and out onto the world itself. They touched down at the spaceport in the city or what used to be a city. The spaceport was surrounded by the buildings, speeder pads, and streets one would expect to see in a planet's major metropolitan center. But it was eerily quiet. The incessant murmur of the crowds and the constant hum of traffic whizzing past on busy streets were missing. There wasn't even any wind, and the air tasted stale in Scourge's mouth. The temperature was neither cold nor hot, but he felt himself starting to shiver. You feel the chill of the void, Nyrus told him. The Force is energy. It gives heat to our emotions and our minds. But here, it has been stripped away. She led him along the deserted streets, as Scourge stared in fascinated horror, trying to grasp the magnitude of what he was witnessing. The buildings seemed to be almost fully intact. There was none of the damage and destruction normally associated with millions of simultaneous deaths. However, there were other signs of what had happened here. Mangled speeders and shuttles were strewn about. The remains of vehicles in motion that had crashed to a halt when their pilots were taken by the ritual. And everywhere Scourge looked, there were small piles of clothes. Jackets, slacks, and boots that had survived where their owners had not. Normally, these remains would have been picked over by scavengers, but on Nathema, even the vermin and insects were extinct. Where are the droids? Scourge asked. He was shocked at the sound of his own voice. It was flat and dull, as if even sound waves had been distorted by the ritual. The ritual overloaded their circuits, Nyriss explained. Her voice was hollow and washed out as his. The damage was irreparable. Even their memory cores were completely wiped out. Scourge glanced upward and noticed something else unusual. The sun shining down on them from above, a star that had appeared bright orange as they'd approached the planet, was now a pale shade of brown. In fact, everything around them was either brown or gray, as if the colors had been leached out. Scourge was well acquainted with death, he had no trouble understanding massacres and mass slaughter. Death and destruction unleashed powerful emotions like fear, suffering, and hatred. They fueled the power of the Dark Side. But what had happened on Thema was different. And it disturbed him in a deep and profound way. The Emperor had consumed everything. Life, sound, color, even the Force. Nothing remained. This wasn't about conquest or domination or destroying an enemy. All concepts Scourge embraced. Everything on Nathema had simply been snuffed out, extinguished so completely that it ceased to have any meaning or purpose. It was a vacuum of existence, a blight on the natural order. I've seen enough, he declared. Nyrus nodded, and they turned and made their way back to the ship. Sturge finally understood why Nyrus and the others wanted to take the Emperor down. Destroying your enemies, even destroying a planet, was understandable. But this wasn't simple destruction. It was annihilation. Obliteration. The very fabric of the Force had been shredded. Anyone capable of turning an entire planet into a nihilistic abomination had to be completely mad. After seeing the horrors of Nathema, he truly believed the Emperor might declare another war against the Republic, exposing them to the Jedi and leading to the eventual extinction of their species. By the time they reached the shuttle, Scourge's stomach was churning. He'd lived his whole life attuned to the Force. Having it stripped away had left him physically ill. The shuttle shook as they took to the air, and he fought against the urge to vomit. As they broke the atmosphere of the cursed world, some semblance of normalcy returned. Scourge felt the Force rushing in to fill the emptiness inside him. He felt its power invigorating him and restoring his strength. At the same time, he also felt something else. The presence of someone strong in the Force. Someone who is neither nyrus nor him. nyrus suddenly began punching away at the shuttle's controls, scanning the system for another vessel and Scourge knew she felt it, too. There, she said, pointing at the readout. The ship just dropped out of hyperspace in this system. Could the Emperor have sent someone to follow us? Scourge asked. I don't think so, she replied, staring at the screens. Its signature doesn't match any design I've ever seen before. From her voice, it was clear she was as puzzled as he was. If the ship hadn't followed them here, The odds against it showing up at the same time they were here were astronomical. But Scourge understood the ways of the Force too well to believe in coincidence. There had to be some connection between them and the unexpected visitor. Looks like a small freighter of some kind, Nyrus muttered. I don't think they've seen us. Scourge realized they had two options. The first was to make a quick jump to hyperspace in an effort to escape before being noticed. Nyrus decided to take the second option. Reaching out a finger, she activated the shuttle's ion cannon, locked onto the unidentified vessel, and fired The instant the Ebon Hawk dropped out of hyperspace near Nathema, Revan was overwhelmed by a barrage of mental images. Everything came crashing in on him, the memories he was so desperate to regain, fusing with the trauma he had tried so hard to repress. Caught between the two, he cried out and clutched his head in his hands. For several seconds, he didn't move, his conscious will battling with his runaway subconscious. One by one, he was able to take the recollections, process them, and store them away, slowly regaining control. He knew with absolute certainty that he had been to this world before. He remembered its deserted city and its lifeless surface. He remembered searching the empty buildings with Malak, looking for archives, records and astrogation charts that would guide them on the next step of the journey. But most of all, he remembered the horror of a dead planet entirely stripped of the Force. T3 was at his side, beeping with concern. Revan blinked away the last of his fugue state and glanced down at the hawk sensors to see what had the little droid so upset the sensors had picked up another vessel in the system it was difficult to draw on the force so close to the ravaged world and he struggled to get some sense of the passengers on the other ship by the time his groggy mind registered the threat they posed It was too late. The ion blast hit the Hawk full bore, shorting out its circuits and engines and leaving them at the mercy of the gravitational field from the planet below. Revan scrambled to steer the ship as it was pulled down into Nathema's atmosphere, wondering at the chances of surviving a second crash landing in a row. The ion blast had damaged the flight controls and stabilizers, and the ship veered wildly as it plummeted toward the surface. He had no idea if the other vessel was following him. The sensors had been knocked out along with everything else, but he knew if he didn't get the engines and repulsors back online, the Ebon Hawk would be smashed to pieces by the fall. T3, he shouted, but the astromech had already sprung into action. T3 had connected himself to the cockpit's main control panel with a 20 centimeter long slicing tool. Lights on the cockpit dashboard began to flicker and flash as T3 rerouted power from damaged circuits. Through the cockpit window, Revan could see the distant outline of a city far below. The skyscraper seeming to grow rapidly as the hawk rushed toward them at terminal velocity. (laughs) Inside the control panel, something crackled and popped. Smoke poured into the cockpit. T3 squealed in alarm, but his warning was drowned out by the sound of the hawk's engines roaring back to life. Revan pulled back hard on the stick and the nose of the hawk grudgingly angled upward, emergency repulsors screaming. Race for impact, he shouted an instant before they slammed into the edge of one of the massive skyscrapers, sending a shower of perma-creek and steel tumbling to the empty street below. The hawk ricocheted off the building and began to spin wildly. Then it slammed into the ground at an awkward angle, skipping along the street like a stone passed across water before finally coming to rest.
1: Okay, so after they landed on Athema, the Skur starts to realize the damage that the Emperor had caused. It's not hot or cold. The force is just gone. Nyrus explains to him he is filling what they call the chill of the void. The force is energy, which feeds their emotions and gives them sense of heat. And that energy is no longer on the thema. Skirt sees piles of clothes everywhere. He asks Nyrus, where are all the droids at? She tells him that the ritual fried their circuits. There weren't even insects left. Everything on the thema was dead. Skirt starts to realize what the emperor had done. He knows that anyone that could have done this has to be mad. Uh, yeah. I think he's a little bit crazy. So Scourge had seen enough. He wanted to leave. Nyrus and him go back to the ship and take off. As they enter back into space, they both start to feel the presence of the force. But then they feel the force coming from a person. They see a ship. Now this is the part of the book where everything that had led up to now starts to intermingle. Scourge and Nyrus didn't know who was on the ship. Revan didn't even know that they were there because a lot of his memories started to rush back in. Nyrus and Scourge must act quickly to escape or destroy the ship. So Nyrus fires on Revan's ship and sends it plummeting to the planet's surface. T3 hooks in and gets everything under control. But there was not enough time for Revan to save it from crashing. They smash into a building and then skip down the street. And that's where we are left at as the chapter comes to an end.